almost anywhere in the world can be accessible with almost any budget. One of the reasons I started blogging was because I would see families in line at Disneyland and just and realize how much money they were spending for that week at Disneyland and, and thinking about how many other places in the world they could take their kids for that, which is totally their prerogative if they want to go to Disneyland. One of the things I wrote... About- the voice you're hearing belongs to family travel writer Eric Stowen. Eric is a father of three who takes his kids everywhere. And I do mean everywhere, all over the globe. And Eric writes about his family's adventures on his website, travelbabo.com. And today on Family Travel Radio, Eric shares his advice to help you take your kids everywhere just like he does. Off we go. Family Travel Radio is on the air. Welcome to Family Travel Radio, the official podcast of the Family Travel Association. Family Travel Radio is on the air, helping you discover the world of possibilities family travel has to offer. Well, hey there, my friend. It's Aaron Schlein, and welcome to Family Travel Radio, your go-to podcast for incredible destinations, amazing experiences, and life-changing family adventures. Father's Day is on its way, and as promised, we've got a special Father's Day episode of the podcast to go along with our special Mother's Day episode that aired last month with Tamara Gruber from We Three Travel and the Vacation Mavens podcast. To celebrate Father's Day, we'll be chatting with Eric Stowen from Travel Bobo. Eric is one of the leading family travel bloggers in the world and certainly one of the most influential voices out there. Eric is famous for taking his kids everywhere. And my chat with Eric Stowen, Mr. Travel Babo himself, is coming up right now. Happy to welcome to the program today, Eric Stowen. Eric is a California-based writer and photographer specializing in family travel. His goal is to encourage everyone to take their kids to unique destinations. And on his website, TravelBobo.com, Eric provides firsthand information to make it easier to plan those trips. Eric has traveled with his three kids, ages 9, 11, and 13, to 54 countries on seven continents. He won Condé Nast's Traveler Photo of the Year and is a two-time gold award winner for family travel writing Oh, and uh, a little magazine called Forbes named him the fourth most influential traveler in the world. Eric, welcome to the program, my friend. Thank you very much, Aaron. It's my pleasure. Eric, you have got to be near the top of the list when it comes to experience and family travel. You've been all over the world with your kids. And when parents reach out to you for advice, what, what are a couple of those common questions that you get time and time again? The vast majority of the emails I get are from people wanting new ideas for vacations, saying that you know they're looking for a spring break destination, they're based in California, they're tired of Hawaii, they're tired of Mexico. They want to know something new. They, 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 they're kind of tired of Iceland and Costa Rica and, and the places that are getting so much press and in, in turn getting over-touristed right now, you know, based on their exact situation, uh, maybe budget, maybe number of family members, where they're coming from, season, whatever. They want ideas of where to go. What do you come back at them with? How do you how do you help them get over those hurdles and find those new and exciting destinations? All based on on personal experience, what we've found around the world, what we've liked. If they're looking to get off the grid, I've loved Brazil and the Amazon rainforest and Greenland the last couple of years, two places that a lot of people don't think of taking their kids. For spring break, I really try to discourage families from heading to Europe or heading too many time zones away. It's just, it's so hard after one week for kids to reacclimate and and you know jump back eight time zones in time to get ready for school tomorrow. And we've had trouble with that a little bit. And so. Um, 
honestly, for spring break, I've been looking uh, south to South America a lot. So many great destinations down there. Um, unless you go way too far south, in which case, you know, your summer could be their winter and, and it's going to be cold. There's a lot of cool things to do down there. So, so I think that's where I've kind of been pointing families lately. Great. Well, you mentioned one place, and I'm almost certain that this is the first time that that particular country has been mentioned on this podcast, and that's Greenland. Give me a little bit about your take on Greenland. Greenland is is great. It's a Danish uh, island. It's by far the largest island in the world. It's distorted on maps, so it's not quite as big as it looks on on the normal uh, maps that you're used to seeing in classrooms. Not easy to get to. There are no flights, as far as I know right now, from North America, so you have to go either through Reykjavik or, or far more common is Copenhagen. And then there's there's very little uh, tourism infrastructure. There aren't many places to stay. There's some tourism companies that'll make sure that you get around. So basically, my son um, at 10 years old last summer, and I headed to South Greenland. Um, I'm not going to try to pronounce a lot of the names. There are a lot of cues, sometimes two cues <laughs> back to back, which I honestly have no idea what to do with that. But yeah, headed down uh, to the southernmost point in Greenland. For one week, we used boats uh, to get around. We hiked. We stayed on sheep farms. We stayed in little cabins and villages with like literally 25 residents. Uh, we fished. It had no internet access. Technically, from a couple of the lodges, we, we could have logged on if we wanted to pay, I don't know, 20 cents a minute or whatever, but it was really nice just not knowing what's going on in the world um, and, and staying offline on purpose. We played Frisbee. We read a lot, sketched a lot, and, and just it's so nice. Like, honestly, not seeing... Any other tourists, or if we did, it was at night at some of the sheep farms, and maybe a couple of Danish tourists would join us. We saw very few non-Danes. But uh, yeah, just fun, totally unique. One of those places where, yeah, you want to say, oh, go now before everybody else does, but then that kind of starts a system of everybody going. And and they can't handle it. Um, One of the sheep farms that I talked to, I asked you know, how much more they really wanted in terms of, of guests coming to see them. She said, you know, a few more. And she meant a few more. Like maybe now they have 55 a year and she could handle 60 a year. And, and so um, so it really is still a unique place. Far more sheep probably than people. Um, a lot of it's covered in glaciers. So you kind of stay on the edges or, or down south. It was green. It was wildflowers. It was gorgeous uh, with icebergs everywhere, which is kind of a fun, unique setting. So, so highly recommend Greenland. Yeah, that, that's a spectacular recommendation. And I, I hadn't really planned on getting into too many specifics on destinations. Maybe we'll have to do a whole Greenland episode someday. I'm definitely going to link up to your content on Greenland at familytravel.org slash radio so folks can read a little more. Eric, we're going to celebrate Father's Day here in a few days. So I want to really dig into your perspective, not just as a family traveler, but as a dad. And first off, I, as a fellow dad, family traveler, I can't help but notice a general lack. Now I'm making a generalization here, a general lack of dad voices in the family travel space. You're one of the loudest and certainly one of the most influential. Why do you think there's that that disconnect, that lack of dad voices? Um, I think, and actually these ne- aren't necessarily my thoughts. I was on a, in uh, New Orleans recently with Kim Tate of Stuffed Suitcase and we were talking about this. We were on an assignment for a magazine. What she kind of pointed out is that a lot uh, more moms generally, and maybe this is changing, but a lot more moms tend to work from home, especially right after having kids, than dads, and, and will start blogging, say, about parenting, family-type issues like that, and then they kind of transition into travel blogs. And, and I thought that made a lot of sense, that, that you know, more moms are more likely to start blogging probably than dads. Well, for folks who aren't familiar with your story, you've only been at it for a relatively short time. So take us through, if you would, just real quick, your your, your start into, into blogging and then where you are today. 
Um, yeah, I always liked traveling with my kids. Um, had never really blogged about it until 2014. I took my daughter to Antarctica and it, I got so many pictures that I liked and I, I loved the story and, and people were asking me all about it and it seemed way too much to just post in different little things on, on Facebook. And so I actually, I went to some blogger platform. Um, I don't know if it was blogger or what it was, started a, a website simply to tell the Antarctica story. I posted a whole bunch of pictures and, and told all about the trip. A few years a, or a few months after that, I quit my job in healthcare kept kind of blogging just every once in a while when we'd go on a cool trip or whatever. And then it, it was probably nine or 10 months after that Antarctica trip that I actually got my domain name and started a website and transferred over my blog posts I'd already written just because I thought, oh, maybe maybe there's a broader audience here than just my friends and family um, who, who I could inspire to take their kids to Antarctica, to take their kids to Greenland, to wherever that, that people aren't thinking about right now. Your timeline was very quick, was very sped up from just my observations about blogging in general and possibly because it's so saturated with very similar content where you come in just a few years ago with this very unique angle. And perhaps that was one of the reasons why you were able to, to get such a quick head start. What do you think? Yeah, I feel like I was taking my kids to crazier places than than a lot of other people were. I think that helped. And honestly, I mean, from, from a blogging business type perspective, it was all networking. It was that, that early on, I started going to travel conferences and events all around the world. Um, my very first one, I think I went to ITB Berlin a couple months after starting my website. And then the next month or two months after that, I went to the Travel Bloggers Exchange Conference in Spain. Just started meeting people, meeting brands seeing how I wanted to blog, seeing what I wanted my website to be about, uh, realizing that I didn't ever really want ads on my website, that I really wanted it inspirational and, and clean, and I wanted to uh, keep improving my writing. So I went to writing workshops. And, and so, yeah, but I think it all goes back to networking, meeting as many cool people as I could all around the world and, and growing from there, finding more followers there and finding brands that wanted to work with me through that. Well, you've been certainly working hard, providing great value. And I know myself and a lot of folks out there, very, very grateful for what you're doing. Grateful you're putting that high quality content out there for us to enjoy and to learn from. So let, let's dive into your travel with your kids. You have taken, you have three kids and you've taken each of them on multiple one-on-one -on -one trips, just you and one of your children. Go back to that decision to to take those trips in the very, very beginning. What was in, What was inspiring you and what did you hope to get out of it? Yeah, starting at the very beginning, when my daughter was three, anyone with, with multiple kids knows this, but your first child just seems so much more mature than the last one does at the exact same age, because you, you just, it's this little person, and you can relate to them on as adult level as, as you want to um, early on. And my three-year-old just seemed like this amazing mini adults or whatever, this, this great person that I just wanted to be with and travel with and spend time with. And at three, she came home from pre-K and said she wanted to go to Antarctica. And I said, great, and, and called up National Geographic and asked what a good age was. And they said eight. And so we definitely decided to go when she was eight, but I wanted to travel with her earlier than that. So we decided on Australia for an immediate trip right after she turned four, just the two of us. My wife was great with it. Uh, she, so she stayed home with my son, who was two at the time. And I loved it. We got to like hold koalas and feed wallabies and, and, and run around the Sydney Opera House and go to Bondi Beach and, and all this fun stuff that, that I loved. I had been to Sydney a bunch of times before, but had never seen it through a child's eyes 
she loved it. She got to come back to school with little koalas for the whole class. And it was so easy leaving LAX. You, you get on a plane at like 10 at night, you sleep the entire way, you wake up and you're in Australia and, and it's foreign, but it's easy. It's English speaking, safe, just totally easy to get around. And yeah, it was a fun trip. And so every year after that, I just started asking where she wanted to go and then asked my son when he turned four and asked my other daughter when she turned four. And uh, we've kept going and it, it's not a pure annual thing. Um, my 13-year-old right now is not opting into annual one-on-one trips. She would rather be at home and, and riding her horse. Whereas my son now is getting multiple one-on-one trips. Last year, we went around the world, including that Greenland uh, trip. And then, But the week before that, we flew all the way over to Russia just for the World Cup and then flew all the way back. And it's just it's a matter of what my kids request and what we can fit into our summer schedule, especially. And, and same thing this summer. My son had already chosen his one-on-one destination of the Faroe Islands uh, with a quick stop in Reykjavik, and we're doing that in July. But we have these two and a half weeks to kill at the end of June into the beginning of July. And, and we started talking about how I wanted to see Laos and, and he wanted to see Vietnam. And, and all of a sudden now, a few days later, I, I'm, I've sketched out a, a total itinerary for Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, and, and Thailand, uh, just over two and a half weeks. Might even try to stop in Seoul or Japan or somewhere on the way back for a day. Uh, let him see another new country just for at least to get a, a tiny feel for it. So again, I love it. I, I love that one-on-one bonding. And, and my wife's great with that because she's at home with the other kids. The kids are in camp or doing whatever during the summer. You know, they want to travel some, but not quite as much. And so if, if one of my kids wants to jump on a plane with me, I'm all for it. Well, you highlighted something over the course of that story, something that that I really preach and I believe in, and that's just the evolution of of travel, ramping up the adventure as the years go by. You started out with that I don't want to call it a soft trip to Australia because there's nothing soft about a 15 hour flight and all those time zone changes, but a relatively easy in terms of international. And then over the years, ramping it up, ratcheting it up to these, these more adventurous trips. So start at the beginning for those folks who maybe they buy into the concept of increased adventure, but they just don't have the nerve to take that first step. You didn't sound like you had a whole lot of trepidation on that first trip, taking your four-year-old to Australia, but what do you tell parents who just can't get over that hump and get out the door, taking that first international trip with their kids? Yeah, it's a great point because I, one of the reasons I started blogging was because I would see families in line at Disneyland and just and realize how much money they were spending for that week at Disneyland and, and thinking about how many other places in the world they could, they could take their kids for that, which is totally their prerogative if they want to go to Disneyland. But uh, one of the things, I wrote a post on that at one point, like, where else can you go for the cost of a Disneyland vacation? And one of the, the good points that somebody made was that Disneyland is just, it's easy and it's known. So there is not that hurdle that you just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I think by doing it, I'm kind of proving that, okay, it's possible to take your kids around the world or to Antarctica and return them totally safely. I try to, to lead by example and you can only rationalize so much as far as the safety thing. Like literally yesterday, my mom uh, got a little bit worried that I was taking my whole family all around Turkey this summer. And and I explained how much safer Turkey was than unfortunately U.S. schools right now, or, or even driving to the airport as far as the chances of something happening. And so, but again, you can only rationalize so much on that and say, you know, the, the flight is way safer than the car drive or the car ride to the airport. I, I think parents need to choose a place that they're comfortable with, and, and maybe they've traveled before and maybe they haven't. If they haven't, then, then that's definitely a bigger hurdle. So maybe you start with London or something that, that's just totally a known entity, Western Europe or whatever, um, before for going elsewhere. It, it, it's not easy. And so it's a great question. I don't know that I have a perfect answer. 
Well, I appreciate your candor there. And Eric, my background is in uh, economics and risk management, and you hit a lot of my happy buttons there with what you just said, talking about the the opportunity cost, what you miss out on by spending all the money to go to Disney and just managing the you know, managing the risk of your day-to-day activities here at home versus what goes on around the world. I love that. And I really appreciate you bringing that to the forefront so folks can can hear it firsthand from someone who's seen it, someone who's who's been there. Love that. And also on a side note, just to sort of tag on to what you said, I just got back from an eight-day trip to London in the UK with my wife and two kids. We went to Olani last year, the hotel in Hawaii, the Disney hotel. We spent on our entire trip to the UK what it cost just for the hotel room for a week in at Olani. So that's a real good point there. So let's move on. Travelbobble.com. You have some very universal advice about family travel from your, of course, many, many years of experience. And we don't have time to get into all of it. So I'm going to link up to it in the show notes again. But I want to highlight a few of your tips that I find especially valuable. And many of them address topics that we haven't really covered here on the podcast. So on the highest level, Eric, your number one piece of advice you say is to make travel all about the kids. So I want to get into some actionable ways for parents, for moms and dads to do just that. Make family travel about the kids. And one thing you recommend is booking family or excuse me, kid friendly activities, which is straightforward enough. But let's get into it a little deeper. Eric, what is your strategy for finding? finding and booking kid-friendly activities, especially in some of those more remote corners of the world? I mean, it's all about Google. It's about TripAdvisor. It's about knowing my kids or, or knowing what they're interested in. And if we are looking for a cooking class, and I'm throwing this out randomly, but I mean, I, we have not been to Georgia, the country. We would love to go based on the food. If we go, I'd love to do a cooking class. So I would simply Google that. Um, maybe I'd find a blog where somebody did something like that. Maybe I'd, I'd find a TripAdvisor or a, a, you know whatever uh, for it, and and reach out and, and try to set something like that up. So I, I think it's it's that it, it's super easy in places like Paris, Rome, London, or whatever to to Google you know family friendly or, or kid oriented Louvre visits or or Musée d'Orsay or what have you, and and you'll find a ton of great options out there, and and they're so well thought out because for the, these major museums, you don't want to take a kid around a long museum that starts with an hour long wait in line, and then dragging them to the things you want to see, or not even worse would be having no strategy at all. So you're just randomly walking through one of the world's biggest museums with kids that don't want to be there and have no interest in it, whereas. You, you find one of these family uh, activity companies, and not only do you get to skip the line, you go straight in, but there's a scavenger hunt uh, you know, related to the museum. And so you're going through, you're going to the major pieces there, learning why they're significant in, in a way that kind of brings back you know, the parents' knowledge of all of this stuff from, from high school or college that you haven't thought about in, in decades. Um, so, so it's nice having that kind of refresher, but it's, it's on a perfect level for the kids. Like, why was this significant? Why, why is this the most famous painting in the world or whatever? And, and doing it on that level, but making a whole game out of it throughout the museum. And then you're, you're in and out in less than two hours. So they had fun, you had fun, and it's a fun part of your vacation instead of being the one thing that, that at the end of the summer, they go, oh my God, my parents dragged me through these museums in Europe. It sucked so bad. I'm so jealous <laughs> you got to stay home. And so, you know, that type of thing. So, so yeah, it's just a matter of Googling and reaching out and reading blogs and, and whatever your interest, somebody else has probably had that same interest. And there's probably a company or an individual there who, who can help you. 
I think that's a good fundamental goal, a great guiding light. Don't make your kids jealous of their friends who stayed home. If that happens, <laughs> I think you lost. <laughs> You've lost the game at that point. Just to, again, to tag on to your point about waiting in line. My son wanted to do the photo op in London at King's Cross Station, where you get to take a picture, platform nine and three quarters. But the line was an hour long. And once he saw the line, he didn't want to do it anymore. If a kid doesn't want to wait in line for an hour for something they want to do, think about putting them in a line for something that they have no interest in doing. Your point is, is perfect and very well taken. So let's move on. Flexibility is something you talk about. And flexibility is can be a squishy concept. So let's get into something specific. Because you recommend being willing to do something that many people may not even dream of doing. And that is being open to the idea of changing your vacation plans midway through a trip. Tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, we are not perfect vacation planners. We, we have in our head the idea of a perfect vacation. And, and I, I've had some examples on my website. A couple summers ago, we, we thought that renting a villa on Lake Como would be amazing for a couple of weeks. And, and we pictured just doing all these little day trips and hopping on the ferry every morning and going to other um, towns around Lake Como. And, and by having a villa, we'd be able to cook, you know, bring in groceries and stuff like that. And then, you know, and I chose a, a little town that looked perfect, chose a villa and what I thought was a great walking location from the distance from the ferry and all that stuff. And we got there and within two days, our kids were bored out of their minds. There was no grocery store anywhere near us. So we had to take a ferry all the way over to Como itself to buy groceries. We didn't have a car or anything, or we could have probably driven somewhere a little bit closer and did a couple day trips around the lake and we realized, okay, well, we've seen those towns now. We don't really need to be on a boat several hours a day just to be seeing more similar towns. And we realized early on that it, that it was a total failure to be planning on spending two weeks in that villa, as, as perfect a vacation situation as it sounded like. Um, so yeah, we hopped on the train, left half our stuff at the villa, and, and went to Florence for a week. Um, so we, we got a last-minute hotel. And so yes, it was an added cost because we were still paying for the villa, where we were simply storing our stuff. But we had a great time. And, and we saw our favorite places and went to our favorite restaurants and, and saw some new things and reached out to friends there. Yeah, you have to be willing to do that. And yes, it's an investment if you've already paid for something, but we've done that in Greece too. We, we've you know, had a hotel booked for a couple of weeks on a, on a Greek island and realized we want to go over to this other Greek island and they're no good day trips. So let's just pack some of our stuff and, and head over there. We'll tell the hotel that we're coming back in case they, they worry about where we are for a day or two. And then, yeah, get another hotel and, and really branch out and, and be flexible because otherwise the kids are getting bored or miserable or it's too hot or whatever. And so it's a little bit added expense, but you get a much better vacation out of it. Certainly can appreciate that. Yeah, that rigidity can be can be crippling. And I, I love this the idea that you have that open mind and sharing that with other people who, like I said, may, they may not even think about that. You, you book a vacation. This is where we're going to stay for seven days. Come hell or high water, we're doing this thing. And sometimes that's just not the best move. And being able to be flexible and pivot is is a pretty special thing to do. That sort of is a nice lead into to my next point. In this that last story you told, you said yes to to changing your plans. And one of your biggest pieces of advice is just simple two words, and that's say yes. Tell me about saying yes. Absolutely. If the kids want to have gelato at 10 o'clock in the morning, why not? You know, I mean, you're on vacation. My son loves soccer or football, as it's known everywhere else outside of the US. And 
everywhere we go, he just wants to, to be kicking a ball around. So we'll always buy one. Um, we generally don't want to take it back home. We, we try to travel light, but it's not a problem to spend $8, $10, which just, just did in Mexico last month again. And, and he kicked it around for just a couple days. And then uh, there was a kid watching um, our last day and we went over and handed him the ball at the end and said, hey, do you want a ball? And, and his mind was blown because I don't think he had a good soccer ball. Yeah, so whatever it is, just just spending a little bit of extra money, saying yes to the silly things toys, gelato, whatever makes the vacation just a little bit better, a little bit more fun for the kids. Why not? Absolutely. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of saying yes. And once again, glad that you, you're able to put that out there for folks to understand and break through some of those, those barriers and those that, that mental constriction that many parents go through. Let's move on to packing. And Eric, you're, you recommend packing no more than you can easily carry, which can be very challenging for a lot of people, especially with kids. So how do we pull that off? How do we pull off packing no more than we can easily carry? We limit ourselves to packing cubes. We, we love packing cubes. I think they're the large size from, from eBags or Eagle Creek, or there are a bunch of different brands out there. You know, they're, they're big enough to, to fit a few outfits in, um, not including shoes, uh, maybe including swimsuits. But in general, if everyone has that, they could fit it into a backpack or we can fit three or four of those into a small rolling suitcase. We don't want to be getting on a plane with seven things or eight things as far as small backpacks and rolling bags and everything else. Yeah, we'll check bags sometimes, but it's too easy to lose things, to leave things behind. If we're running to jump on a train in, in Italy or something, you know, to have to find storage for all of that stuff when it's already a crowded train, the less you have, the better. And, and we do like renting apartments with laundry. That makes it much easier to only take a couple outfits and to, to wash them throughout the trip. Yeah, it, it, it's human... It, it, it's just, it's what people do. They, they want to overpack. They want to think about the what ifs, like what if I need a nice dress? What if we go out? And, and you don't have to think like that. You can, you can just not have anything fancy. You can, you can have one pair of shoes even, um, or two pairs of shoes. Uh, you don't need a couple pairs of sandals or anything like that. It just goes super simple. Nobody cares what you look like. Nobody realizes even at your hotel that you've worn the same thing for four days in a row. It, they just don't. So yeah, do laundry and sinks, pack light. We take lots of kids' medicines and little emergency stuff like that. But as far as clothes, we just don't need much. As far as your, your packing strategies, was that was that an evolution or is that just something that you knew early on? I think we started it early on just because with packing cubes, it became easier, especially from the perspective of a family of five in a lot of the world, especially Europe, um, you cannot all fit into one hotel room. So you need two hotel rooms and they're probably not going to be connecting. Um, it'd be nice if they are, but, but they might be down the hallway from each other or they might be on different floors of a hotel and it is what it is in different hotels, different cities, different countries. And so in order to separate things, if I'm with my son in one room and my wife and our daughters are in another room and, and we're separated, you don't want to take a suitcase from room to room having to unpack each little thing and, and put it where it belongs. It was far easier to use packing cubes so that everyone's stuff is in one packing cube. So um, whether it's in one suitcase or two suitcases or whatever, you can you can get to a hotel and immediately go, okay, here are the girls' things, here are the boys' things, and be done with it. So I think that's probably where it started is it just became a lot easier to separate our stuff uh, than to um, repack at the end of a vacation if each one of the kids already has their packing cube and they just kind of push everything back in there rather than we, you know, us having to check every drawer multiple times and make sure that we have everything. Uh, real briefly, talk about what is a packing cube for folks out there who may not have heard of them. 
simply a really, really, really lightweight sack that's usually half fabric, half mesh even, just so that the clothes can breathe. And it, it unzips on three sides and can fit a couple of pairs of pants, um, underwear, socks, a few shirts or whatever, and um, probably not a jacket. But at that point, it, it's full. You zip it up and you toss the entire brick into your suitcase. So then you pull it out at your destination. And you mentioned a couple of brands earlier that you recommend. Can you go through those again? I want to be able to link these up so people can check them out. I'm trying to think of the ones we use. I'm pretty sure it's e-bags that we got off Amazon, but um, I think Eagle Creek has some good ones that are similar sized. Um, and we've, we've tried small, medium, large, all the different sizes. And we realized that I think it's the large that work really well for us at, at any age. Traveling Light really traces back to some of your other pieces of advice. It enables you to be flexible and it enables you to say yes to things when you're traveling light, when you're nimble. So excellent advice there, Eric. So Eric, your tagline is take your kids everywhere, but you seem like a pretty realistic and down to earth guy. And so one of your rules for family travel is take your kids everywhere and then in parenthesis, but be realistic. Take your kids everywhere. Be realistic. What should we be looking out for when we're doing these reality checks? Budget. It gets tricky with vacation schedules because a lot of other people have the same vacation schedules, which means a lot of the popular destinations are more expensive then. So it, it has to be that, that, you know, obviously you're planning a trip within your budget. Almost anywhere in the world can be accessible with almost any budget. It's simply that you might need to change your dates. Go in in November instead of over spring break or whatever, and, and prices might be half what they are. Obviously, you know, for most people, budget is is the main concern, and and it's not. You know, some places are just not budget destinations. Antarctica is extraordinarily difficult to do inexpensively, no matter how much you plan, no matter how many frequent flyer miles you save up, you just can't get there. So, uh, so I think you need to be realistic from a budget perspective. Our kids hate hot days, so so we need to be realistic when it comes to you know trying to avoid destinations that might have major heat waves. And obviously, you can't always predict that. But but we've had some miserable days, especially in Europe, Paris, Greece, um, Italy, even where temperatures have just been 105, 110 for for a few days, and you just don't want to leave. Um, and and it kind of blows a couple of the days of the vacation. And obviously, you want to stay away from anywhere that you really do feel like is going to be dangerous. I, I think that a lot of the warnings are misplaced. I think a lot of people's worries are misplaced, as we talked about. But yeah, I mean, if, if there are things going on in some particular country right now, and you have other things on your list, then choose something else right now and wait for the other situation to calm down. And then, you know, then book a trip. Eric, you live in one of the arguably one of the most beautiful parts of the country, definitely one of the most beautiful parts of California in terms of weather. So I can understand why your kids might grow up hating hot days. <laughs> what's a, what's a hot day? You live in the Santa Barbara area of California, right? Correct. What's a hot day? Uh, we'll get into the hundreds a little bit during the summer, but that's usually when we travel and we don't want hundreds. But yeah, I mean, California, it's cliched, but most days are 75 and sunny and, and, and it's nice. There's a reason people keep moving there. The weather's really good. Love that, man. You touched on this real briefly earlier on, but talk to me a little bit more about about the pace, about kids, the, the pace that you can reasonably expect from a kid, because we know they can't keep up an adult pace, but there's this pressure sometimes, this internal pressure to to see all the things, to do all the things. You've been there, done that. Tell me about setting a good pace for your kids. 
Yeah, it's simple. We don't try to see all the things or do all the things. We realize that that we would rather travel at our kids' pace and do the things that they want to be doing. And if that means, you know, unfortunately for some people, I think it's meant that they never got to see Notre Dame in Paris. So then, you know, I see them posting on social media saying, oh, we took our kids and we just, we never made it over there. They have regrets maybe, but I think on a normal basis uh, for, for normal vacations, you need to listen to your kids. And if they would rather go to the park for four hours in London, rather than, like you said, waiting in line at King's Cross or, or doing something else, or, or maybe even seeing a West End show, do that because they're going to have a better vacation. You're going to be happier. And, and there's plenty of time after the kids go off to university to go back and, and do the things that you, that you and your wife want to do. Honestly, we listen to the kids. We plan a few things a day. Um, maybe we'll do a cooking class. We, we generally try not to overplan our days because the kids would rather have some downtime in the middle, especially if it's hot outside. Long, leisurely lunches are good, especially if the kids do have electronics to kind of occupy themselves before the food arrives. We're, we're, we're not afraid to bring those out sometimes or sketchbooks, whatever, are a little bit healthier. But yeah, yeah, going back to what I said, just go at your kids' pace and listen to them and, and make it a vacation all about them. Well, Eric, we certainly appreciate you. Certainly appreciate you sharing all your wisdom with the world over at TravelBabo.com. We have been chatting with family travel expert, travel influencer, and all around great dude, Eric Stowen of TravelBabo.com. Eric's website, again, treasure trove of information and advice about how you can take your kids everywhere, just like Eric does. Check it out for yourself at TravelBabo.com. That's travel, B-A-B-B-O.com, TravelBabo.com. And of course, you can find all of Eric's contact information in the show notes, familytravel.org slash radio. Happy Father's Day to you, Eric. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, sir. Right back at you. Happy Father's Day to you, Aaron. Well, there you have it, my friend. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Eric from Travel Bobo. Eric and I talked about a lot of things today, a lot of different places that he's been, and I put a lot of links in the show notes at familytravel.org slash radio so you can check out everything that Eric and I talked about today. A happy Father's Day this weekend to all the dads out there, and happy Father's Day to me as well. All right, my friend, we'll see you next week. This is Aaron Schlein for Family Travel Radio. And I'm signing off.